scripture today comes from 1 Corinthians 15, 20-26, and 55-58. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead, of the dead comes also through a man. For as Adam all, for as Adam all, all die, so in Christ all will be, made, will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then, when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come, when he hands over the kingdom of God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. May God add a blessing to the reading hearing and understanding of God's word. You may be seated. Who here has seen Avengers Endgame, the latest one? About half. All right, the other half, I'm about to totally ruin the movie for you. This is, this is a spoiler alert. Um, and uh, uh, took my son to see this a few weeks ago. And, um, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a, a, a movie that is deeper. If you're not into superhero movies, it's a movie that is deeper than what you might expect. And that's what we're going to unpack today as we look for uh, the gospel in movies. We're starting this new series uh, called Silver Screen Sundays, the gospel in movies. And what we're doing is, is we're looking for God's truth wherever it may be found. There's been this idea in some Christian circles that, that uh, the only way that you could find something true and good and beautiful would be in, in something that was produced by a Christian or a Christian company, quote, a quote-unquote Christian company. So Christian music or Christian movies. And, and uh, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, we watched Adam Hamilton on video, and he talked about how his, when he was a teenager, his church taught him that he had to break his Beatles records in two. You remember seeing, and he couldn't, he couldn't listen to the Beatles because they weren't a Christian band. Can you imagine breaking Beatles? That's sacrilegious right there, isn't it? Breaking Beatles records in two because you believe that there's this, there's this hard line between the sacred and the secular. And that's the way some of us were raised. I was, I was raised like that too. And, 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 but perhaps if God is the creator and God is good and, and 
God is truth, and, and God stands for beauty and, and newness and, and every, every experience that we have in the world uh, that is good comes from God. Well, perhaps then all truth is God's truth. Perhaps we can find truth wherever it may be found, and that includes in any work of art, and movies are popular works of art in our time, and so that's what we're doing here in this, uh, in this series, Silver Screen Sundays. And I appreciate uh, a couple of weeks away um, and uh, had a nice little vacation with my family. Uh, we we went, got over to San Diego for a couple of days. It was short, but it was nice. We stayed with some friends. When you get to stay in San Diego for free, who wants to say amen to that, right? Instead of paying uh, 350 bucks for two nights for a hotel. Um, and uh, one thing we got to do that was, that was really cool was we got to go out on a boat for the fireworks in San Diego, they shoot the fireworks over the bay, and, and you've probably seen that before, and uh, some friends of ours that we stayed with, they, they rented a boat, and so my little boys got to watch fireworks on the boat, and at first they didn't know what to expect. I have two boys, eight and three, and my three-year-old, when, when the first firework went up, he just got this grin on his face, so, so sweet. It was, it was just so precious and to see him take in this awe and this wonder of seeing fireworks over over the bay. So it was a great time. I want to thank our team who held down the fort here. Um, am I even needed here is one question because they, they did such a great job. Um, and then you also saw uh, Adam Hamilton give a couple of uh, sermons. Adam is, uh, how many of you appreciated seeing Adam, by the way? Wasn't it great? He's a pastor of a, of a church called Church of the Resurrection in Kansas City. It's a massive church there. They started in 1990 in a funeral home and, uh, because that's the only space they could find. And now it's some, you know, several thousand people. And now they have like four or five campuses around the, the Kansas City area. And they're a church that is doing the kinds of things that we talk about here. Uh, mission and values, there are some similarities there. They have four or five campuses. And last, I think last January, Adam did a series where he used football as a metaphor for life around the Super Bowl. Because it's top of mind, of course. And because um, they're in Kansas City, they invited some, some players from, from the Kansas City Chiefs to give interviews and kind of share their story, past players. And, um, and so they developed this, this relationship with the Kansas City Chiefs. Adam just announced last week that the Kansas City Chiefs have invited Church of the Resurrection to start a campus next to Arrowhead Stadium during football season and home games. So they're going to put up a tent like at 9.30 in the morning outside of Arrowhead Stadium. And it's basically church for tailgaters, I guess. And people who go for the game, like they're going to be able to, you know, get their tailgating equipment out and then go to a church service and then go watch the Chiefs. I mean, how amazing is that? When you talk about, you know, making relationships in the world and living out a mission and showing something different than what so many people see in Christianity today. So you've got tailgating, Kansas City barbecue, beer, church, and football. God bless the United States of America. Incredible. And that, that, that comes from Adam and his vision and his church seeking to live out similar values to what we're seeking to live out here. So I appreciate the time away, but we're ready to get back to work. And um, so now we're going to jump into Avengers Endgame. The Avengers franchise um, has been one of the most lucrative franchises in film history. Endgame alone, this movie that we're talking about today, has grossed $2.7 billion, uh, er earning Robert Downey Jr. a bonus, bonus of $55 million. That was his bonus because the movie has done so well. 
His total pay from Endgame is $75 million. It will probably not pass James Cameron Avatar for the number one spot, but it'll come close. So it's going to be the second highest gross, grossing movie of all time. Um, Endgame is a follow-up to last year's Avengers Infinity War, which is the fifth highest grossing movie of all time. And in Infinity War, the Avengers attempt to stop uh, a misguided villain named Thanos. And Thanos is a play on the Greek word for death, Thanatos. When Mark read the scripture from 1 Corinthians 15, every time you saw the word death, that's the Greek word Thanatos. So Jesus defeated Thanatos. So this villain is Thanos. And Thanos, or Thanos wants to gather these infinity stones. And they fit on a gauntlet that he, wants to, that he is going to wear. And if all the infinity stones are gathered together and put on this gauntlet, it gives him the power to snap his fingers and, and make anything he wishes reality. So in the movie, there's a, a bit of a plot hole because he, he wishes to kill half of the people on earth. Half of all life on the planet he wants to kill. And he believes it's an act of mercy because of overpopulation and poverty and, and famine. And he believes that if half the population is gone, then the other half will thrive. Well, obviously, if he has the power to make any decision, he could just, okay, I want to feed everybody. And that, but in, in the comics, it's different. He has a different motivation. But in the movie, that's his motivation, is to kill half the population so that the other half can thrive. He views destroying life as an act of mercy. And so the Avengers uh, attempt to uh, stop him from doing that. And uh, as they attempt to stop him, they fail. They're not, they're not able to stop Thanos from gathering the Infinity Stones, and he snaps his fingers. And then in the, in the trailer, you saw where these characters just fade into dust. Half of all life dies. I took my son to that movie, thinking that it would be like superhero movies that I remember, and I'm kind of new at this, you know, having a child that's the superhero movie age. Didn't pay attention to the, you know, the parental guidance warning probably. And so I took a six-and-a-half-year-old who loves Spider-Man, and at the end of, at the end of uh, Infinity War, Spider-Man just like fades into dust. And my son turns to me, he's like, what happened to Spider-Man? And I'm like, this was supposed to be fun. This was supposed to be dad and son night out at the movies. And so I'm like, well, so we had a discussion about sequels and why they're made in Hollywood and how this all works. And so I took him to see this one, and, and, and this one makes up for that. So... Uh, Endgame is the follow-up to, to Infinity War. It's set five years later. Half the population has been killed. And now what are the Avengers going to do? There's this scene early in the film where Ant-Man, played by Paul Rudd, amazingly returns from five years ago because he has the ability to make himself small and it's tied to quantum physics and time travel. And he appears and that sets up the time travel angle, but it also shows the condition that the world was in. When half of all life has been destroyed. I mean, obviously... The, the economy has crashed. People are grieving everywhere. Everyone has lost somebody they love. People are devastated. And, and cities and towns are, are in ruin because of this horrible tragedy that has happened to the planet. And that's where Ant-Man finds himself. Let's check out a quick clip. If you can see, there's just trash everywhere. The world has stopped. It's like the, the people who are left behind, life stopped for them because of this devastating thing that happened to them. And, and so Avengers, the superhero movie, actually becomes a movie about how to deal with grief. That's really, I think, the main theme of the film, is how do we deal with grief? How do we deal with it when we experience 
a loss. And there are other losses other than death, by the way. Maybe, the, you know, if you think about grief and loss, maybe, you know, the loss of a loved one does come to mind. But there are lots of other losses other than just the loss of a loved one. There could be the loss of relationship. Uh, there could be the loss of some kind of opportunity or a job you wanted or the promotion you wanted or the loss of, uh, the loss of uh, a loss of innocence, a loss of uh, naivete about the world and about how things work out. There are all kinds of losses in life, and Avengers is really a movie about how to deal with grief and loss. And back when I was in seminary, I was in a counseling cohort for a while, and one of my professors there was a, a veteran counselor, and she uh, liked to say, every loss must be grieved. Every loss must be grieved. And then in that class, I remember uh, talking about how Americans seem to have a hard time dealing with grief. We're a future-oriented people, much more than, than lots of other uh, cultures in the world. And, and so Americans, we just want to move on. You know, when something happens to us, we realize, all the, you know, it's sad or devastating, but then we, we tend to think that grief is going to take a lot less time than what other cultures realize. And, and so it's especially important for us as Americans to realize that every loss must be grieved. And beyond just the loss of a loved one, but there are all kinds of losses, and every loss must be grieved. About 10 years ago, I led a grief recovery group in a church. It's called Grief Share. I think I led it twice, and if I remember right, it was a 12-week program. And it was mostly people who had lost a loved one, but there were some people where the grief, whatever loss that was, it really hit them so hard that they felt like they could benefit from a group. And, and my job was just to let people talk and show empathy and, and identify with people and, and let them discuss and support each other. Through this, through this grieving process. And I remember one, actually it was the first night, um, one of the ladies in the group shared that her son had committed suicide, her adult son, maybe in his 20s. And it was just a few weeks ago. It was like three weeks or six weeks or something like that. And somebody told her about this group and she showed up and we were all sharing our names and why we were here. What was the loss? She shared, you know, that her son had, had taken his own life and and then she said, I thought I would be over it by now. Now, this was a lady who was in the, the throes of grief. So I, I don't hold her responsible for everything she says. But there are other people in the group who were, were stunned when they heard that. And there was another you know, older lady who had lost, I think, her husband. And she said, oh, honey, it's just, it's just starting. And, and, and then she said, but it's going to be Okay. And that's why we're here. But this lady who, who would experience this horrifying loss was, would, thought that somehow that she would feel better in a short amount of time, but that was not the case. And, and so she, by the end of the group, she had made a lot of progress, and, and there were beautiful stories that came out of that, that, that group. Now, maybe it's not a loss that, like that for you, but maybe you did go through a loss and you can kind of identify with that lady because your thinking was, I thought I should be over it by now. This thing happened to you, and every once in a while you find yourself getting angry, or you find yourself kind of, just, or you find yourself being flooded with sadness, or you're struggling uh, with maybe depression, and depression has a chemical cause too. We're going to talk about that next week when we talk about a star is born. But, but maybe you're finding yourself just, these feelings come up and you don't know where they're coming from. A good question to ask might be, is there a loss? Is there a loss that has not been grieved? Every loss must be grieved. And the way that you grieve is by expressing it. 
And, and that means no matter how long it takes, you talk about it, you vent, you journal, you cry, you, you watch movies that help you cry, even whatever helps you express that grief. That's, that's how you grieve that loss. And that means talking to friends who realize if it's a year later and you're still crying, that's okay because that's normal. And so you, you express the grief and, and uh, that's how every loss must be grieved. And at the same time, as somebody who wants to follow Jesus, we have passages like the one we read that kind, of, that kind of throw something else into the mix where it says we grieve, but we don't grieve as people who have no hope. Like Thessalonians 4, Paul writes, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who fall asleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of humankind who have no hope. For we believe Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So once again, this is a place where you're free to express your faith and your doubts and any questions that you may have. But one of the, the core tenets of the Christian faith is that Jesus rose. And because of that, we will rise again someday. And so we grieve, but we grieve with hope. And once again, faith, faith and doubt is welcome here. But as far as the Christian faith and its teaching goes, we grieve as people with hope. So the Avengers deal with their grief in various ways. Captain, Captain America leads a grief recovery group. You know, and so he, he leads grief recovery. Um, Thor falls into alcoholism. And so Chris Hemsworth, who's known as, as the ripped buff guy, he has a beer gut in the movie. If you've seen it, he has a beer gut throughout the entire movie. He, he drinks and plays video games. That's what Thor does to deal with his grief. The Hulk is actually the Avenger who deals with grief the, the best. He's the healthiest in, in the way he deals with uh, the grief. Of course, you know, the Hulk is... Bruce Banner, who's a professor, a doctor, and then he has this alter ego. When he becomes angry, he turns into, into the Hulk. And so he's figured out a way to integrate his life and deal with grief a little bit uh, better. Let's watch uh, Professor Hulk. Show, Hulk's showing empathy now. He's dealt with his anger, his, uh, his grief, better than the rest of the Avengers have. One of the, one of the well, really in the, in the movie, the thing that the Avengers have to grieve, the loss they have to grieve, is a sense of failure that they failed to stop Thanos from destroying half of all life. And so their journey uh, throughout the movie is to overcome their sense of failure and the grief that uh, was caused by that. And so uh, the movie is about grief, and it's also about grief connected to failure. And as you look at your life, first of all, I want to ask you, is there a loss in your life that you still need to grieve? And that, that, that might be enough to keep you busy for a long time. Another question, though, that, that might be connected to that, is there some failure in your life that you feel like you haven't grieved? What you perceive as a failure, at least. You feel like you failed in some area. Once again, maybe it was connected to that thing. Maybe it is divorce. You feel like you failed or a lost relationship. Or maybe you, you didn't find the right person. And you feel like you've, you failed in some way. Or maybe you took that risk. You had that dream. And you took that risk and you raised some money and you went for it and it didn't work out the way that you thought it would. And you feel like you've failed or maybe you didn't get the job you wanted or the promotion you wanted. And you feel like you failed or maybe you feel like a failure. Some of us, I'm sure, have had people in our lives, maybe from a long time ago, maybe recently, who instilled those kinds of messages into us that, that we fail a lot or that we're a failure. If that happened to you, I'm sincerely sorry 
that that happened to you. Because messages like that cut at the core of who we are. How we see ourselves, our, our identity. And they can, they can just become this loop that plays over and over and over again in different circumstances, but different scenes throughout our lives. But that same loop is playing over and over again. Well, you failed here, so it's no wonder you failed here. Or we, we don't go for it. We don't go for whatever it is that we think is our calling or that, that might be good for us or our lives because we're afraid we'll fail. Because that loop is playing back there. And, so, and, and we miss out on opportunities. Which is, by the way, another loss. The opportunity that we could have taken. The, the, the new future we could have created. But now we're just left with possible regret because we, we lost that opportunity because we thought that we might fail at it. What that really is about is shame. And shame is different than guilt. Guilt is, um, I did something bad. Shame is, I'm bad. And shame has a social dimension to it as well. Because it's not just that I'm bad, but I also think I'm bad in the eyes of other people. I think I'm bad compared to other people. I think I'm deficient somehow compared to other people. I'm unworthy compared to other people. I'm not worthy of as much regard as other people are. Are there feelings of shame that you deal with? Maybe it is connected to some failure that you perceived that you had, or maybe messages that, that somebody you know, g- gave to you earlier in life. One of, the, one of the, the ways to grieve a loss, and especially grieve a loss like feeling we failed at something, is to disconnect failure from shame. To separate a sense of shame for whatever you feel like you failed at. So, I mean, you try to start a business or something. I mean, it could be a million things. Or maybe it was a relationship that didn't work out. Maybe you feel like you failed at it. Now, all of us are growing as people. And we all make mistakes. And everybody says things they don't mean. And everybody does things that they're sorry for. If that's the case, and if that played into part of the failure, then here's what you do. You confess it to God. You apologize to the person. You try to make it right as much as you possibly can. And you learn from it, you learn from your mistake, and then you move on. The shame, carrying shame for a long period of time after that thing might sound like a good religious thing to do. Maybe those messages came from church. It might sound like a good religious thing to do. But what shame actually does is it, it creates more lost opportunities, makes you, makes you believe that you're a failure, so the next relationship goes the same way as the last one. The next time you risk it, the same thing happens because you're, you're, instead of focusing on the task, you're consumed with, am I worthy to do this? Am I going to fail again? And so it becomes this vicious cycle. And so shame might be helpful if, for a few seconds. If it gets you to the point where, you know what, what I did was wrong and I need to apologize and try to make it right and learn from it and move on. Shame might be helpful that long. And then after that, shame has no value for your life anymore. Shame is worthless to you after that. And so maybe grieving, or especially if you're, try, if you're grieving a failure, maybe the way to do that is to separate feelings of shame from failure. And realize, number one, everybody fails. We all know stories like Thomas Edison, you know, like how he failed so many times before he invented the light bulb, and, and lots of inventors like that, or actors who audition hundreds of times before they get a role. 
We all, you know, we all know stories like that. Crystal Dunn was, uh, or is a member of the U.S. women's soccer team who just cleaned up over the past few weeks in the World Cup. And she shared her story that she was the last player cut in 2015 from the U.S. women's team. The last player cut. She was so close to achieving her dream that she worked for for years and years and years. She kind of disguised herself and asked a friend to go to the bar with her, and she watched the World Cup at a bar after she was cut from the team. This year, she celebrated the World Cup with her teammates because she didn't let that failure define her. She separated shame and, oh, I'm not good enough and I'm not worthy enough and I'll never make it, I shouldn't even try again and all the messages that we tell ourselves. She separated shame from failure and she went for it again, made the team, now she's a World Cup winner, Crystal Dunn. See, people like, people like that are examples for us. And some of you have done the same thing in your life where you've been able to separate shame from failure. Maybe that's part of your journey, separating shame from your spiritual life. Maybe messages of shame were heaped upon you and that's part of your story is that you're working towards separating those things. Robert Downey Jr., who plays Tony Stark, I mean, who knows his story? Robert Downey Jr. was a successful actor as a kid, and he, he fell into drug addiction. He had a relationship with Sarah Jessica Parker early on in life. That ended because of his drug addiction. Um, I read in 2000 and 2001, he was arrested twice uh, for drug possession. And he was fired from Ally McBeal. If you're, how's that for a blast from the past? Ally McBeal? He was fired from that show because he was arrested. And then I didn't know this, but there's this thing in Hollywood where actors have to get bonded. Like, it, like you have to have a company pay your bond to kind of insure you, I guess, for your role. And he couldn't get bonded after that. So there's this guy who had been a successful actor who fell into addiction and couldn't get a role anymore. He shared later, it was actually Mel Gibson who paid to insure him for a movie that's called, um, see if I can find it here quickly, the, uh, I may not be able to, some, some role, the singing detective. He got a role in 2003 because Mel Gibson paid his bond to be able to be insured. And they, they were friends before that and have been close friends after that. Um, so his, his life could have easily been over because of the, the failure that he experienced. But he chose a different path, apparently, and he had some friends to help him along the way. And that guy who got arrested, who had to go to rehab, just got a $55 million bonus, brothers and sisters. So if you feel like you failed at something, maybe the, maybe the next step for you is to separate shame from failure. The, the shame might be good enough to say, here, okay, here's what I did wrong, and then move on. And now it's just about learning lessons and, and working hard uh, the rest of the time. All right, so we need to learn to, to uh, separate shame from failure. One of the, uh, I think, the, the, probably the most powerful influences over the past few years, in our culture at least, when it comes to vulnerability and shame, has been Brene Brown. And she gave a TED Talk a few years ago uh, called The Power of Vulnerability. And she thought, you know, maybe a thousand people will watch this on YouTube. Who knows? Like, she got this invitation. She went. And ended up being seen, I think, by five million people. And made her a household name. Like most of you know who she is. She's an author now. She is a sought-after speaker on the subjects of vulnerability and shame. And she gave another TED Talk recently. And, and uh, she talked about how, how she felt after she gave that TED Talk that went viral. But right after she gave it, before it went viral. And she shared in that TED Talk that she had had a breakdown. And that there were some things in life she just felt like she couldn't cope with. She had a breakdown. 
And then after she left the stage, she's like, I just told the world that I had a breakdown. He's like, if more than a few hundred people see this, my career is over. Like, I'm a, I'm a counselor. Like, what am, like people are going to judge me for this. Like, I just, I was vulnerable. And she got the irony that she shared about vulnerability, but she's a human. And she's like, man, I just, I just laid it out there. And so it ends up five million people watch this video. It's been freeing for so many people. But she came back to talk about shame. Processing some of her own feelings of shame that she dealt with even after giving that talk. And so I have a couple of minutes here, two or three minutes of Brene Brown talking about shame and where it comes from in our lives and how we can disconnect from a sense of shame. I had to write down the name of this TED fellow so I didn't mess it up here. Mishkin Ingawale. I hope I did right by you. I saw the TED Fellows my first day here, and he got up and he explained how he was driven to create some technology to help test for anemia because people were dying unnecessarily. And he said, I saw this need, so you know what I did, I made it. And everybody just burst into applause, and they were like, yes! And he said, and it didn't work. (laughs) And then I made it 32 more times. And then it worked. You know what the big secret about TED is? I can't wait to tell people this. I I guess I'm doing it right now. Um, This is like the failure conference. No, it is. You know why this place is amazing? Because very few people here are afraid to fail. And no one that gets on the stage so far that I've seen has not failed. I have failed miserably many times. I don't think the world understands that because of shame. There's a great quote that saved me this past year by Theodore Roosevelt. Um, A lot of people refer to it as the man in the arena quote. And it goes like this, it is not the critic who counts. It is not the man who sits and points out how the doer of deeds could have done things better and how he falls and stumbles. The credit goes to the man in the arena whose face is marred with dust and blood and sweat But when he's in the arena at best, he wins, and at worst he loses. But when he fails, when he loses, he does so daring greatly. And that's what this conference to me is about. That's what life is about, about daring greatly, about being in the arena. When you walk up to that arena and you put your hand on the door and you think I'm going in and I'm gonna try this, shame is the gremlin who says, "Uh uh-uh. You're not good enough. You never finished that MBA. Your wife left you. I know your dad really wasn't in Luxembourg. He was in Sing Sing. I know there's things that happened to you growing up. I know you don't think that you're pretty enough or smart enough or talented enough or powerful enough. I know your dad never paid attention even when you made CFO. Shame is that thing. And then if we can quiet it down and walk in and say, I'm gonna do this. We look up and the critic that we see pointing and laughing, 99% of the time is who? Us. Do you ever feel like you're your own worst critic? Or that you're your own worst enemy? Because when we look back over our lives, you know, we can, of course we can look at things you know, that we failed at, or we tried and it didn't work out. And then we told ourselves messages about that um, and now that thing is in the past. Even if somebody else really wounded you and inflicted shame on you, 
that's not, I hope not, I hope that's not happening. Now, if it is, then that's a relation, that's a boundary that needs to be set where you get away from a person like that. But if that happened at some time in the past, that's not happening now. That person's not saying that to you now. If you feel like you failed sometime in the past, that's not happening right now. That happened maybe it was five years ago or a year ago or whenever. It's not happening now. What's happening now is what? The messages that we're telling ourselves about it. And so perhaps separating shame from failure means telling yourself new messages. Maybe now you're the one who's heaping shame upon yourself. And, and maybe for you, grieving the loss and, and being able to truly be healed and move on, maybe that means being released from shame and even be, being released from the obligation that you feel like you have to keep shaming yourself for some reason. Which brings us to the passage that Mark read. As we've said here before, and that you know, maybe is not understood as much when people talk about the crucifixion of Jesus and in the way that a lot of us are raised in church is that you know, Jesus stood up against a domination empire, the Roman Empire, who brutally executed people that they felt got out of line. And crucifixion was the way that they did that. And untold, countless numbers of people were crucified. And the whole point of crucifixion was not just to kill the person, but it was to shame the person. It was to, like a, like a morbid billboard, say to the world, this person has, is worthless and has been dispatched by us. They, they are of little regard. They are not important. They are worthy of shame. And you're watching that body hang on the cross to, to publicize to the world that that person has no worth. It was the ultimate instrument of shame. And that's what happened to Jesus. That's, and, and he, we believe he gave his life for us like we sung about earlier. And somehow there's, there's salvation in the scripture. And, and how do we understand his death as a ransom or he died on behalf of us? And there are all kinds of questions. It's called the atonement. There are all kinds of questions about that. But if you're just looking at the facts of what happened, he was brutally killed but shamed in the process. There's this amazing passage in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament that said, For the joy set before him... He endured the cross, scorning its shame. And then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, that God vindicated Jesus. God raised him, vindicated him. So that's what I'm talking about. And vindicated Jesus by raising him from the dead. But he said, for the joy set before him, it was worth it for him. Whatever goal was there for him, our, it would be understood as our salvation in the scripture, that was worth it. It gave him joy that the cross was worth it to him. And he scorned its shame. Now, it's Greek, the New Testament is written in Greek and translating is fascinating. Scorning its shame. Scorn means to look at something with little regard. Scorn is to look at something as though it's not worthy. If somebody looks at you with scorn, they're looking down on you. They're, they're, they're looking at you as though you're not worthy of their time. It's, it's, it's like shame. And so maybe you've heard me say before, that verse could be translated, Jesus shamed the shame. It said he looked at the shame that was supposed to be inflicted upon him on the cross and he looked at that and the shame to him wasn't worth stopping him. He looked at the shame with little regard. The shame wasn't worthy to thwart him in his quest to destroy death. He thought little of the shame. He shamed the shame. That's what Jesus does with shame. 
And the meaning of the cross is you don't have to keep crucifying yourself. He, he, was, he did that. And so you don't have to be weighted down with shame. The lyrics earlier made it powerful. Sin and shame have no power here. And so Jesus releases you from carrying shame connected to whatever sense of failure or maybe a loss that you receive. So Jesus gives you permission to separate shame from failure. And if, if we can get a hold of that, then now all kinds of things are possible. All kinds of new realities are possible in your life. That thing you've been dreaming of, you can go for it. That thing you feel like God has called you to, you can, you can do it. You don't have to be, you play loops about yourself, fearing failure and, and never having grieved. You can, you can grieve, and this happened to me, and it was horrible. And I need to just express it, and, uh, but I don't have to keep shaming myself over this thing. Jesus has set me free. Jesus defeated Thanatos, death, and, and, and dead dreams, and, and dead, you know, being dead inside, feeling like you're not living out your purpose. Jesus gave himself for that and defeated Thanatos, like a hero, so that we could live free from that kind of shame and failure. And the last point, if, if we can live that way, now we're all invited to be heroes. We can be heroes and we can pass on uh, our shield, right, to go for the Captain America metaphor, our victory, our way of life, what we've realized about grief and shame and failure, and you can, you can do this in the freedom that we have. We can be heroes. We can live into our purpose, and we can pass that on to other people. Who's thinking of David Bowie right now? We can be heroes. We can, we can live into the kind of purpose that God has called us to and pass that on to other people. There's a scene, the last clip I'll show today before we wrap it up. There's a scene at the end of Endgame where Captain America is an old man. A time travel thing has happened. He's gone back. He's lived his life that he missed out on with his wife. And, and he comes back as an old man. It was like five seconds to the present, but he lived his whole life in the past. And then he came back, and, and, uh, and he's sitting on a bench as an old man. And he passes his shield off to Falcon, another Avenger. He hands his shield over, and let's check it out. So Captain America looks back over his life. And because of this time travel thing, he got to live a fulfilling life that he missed out on before. And then he passes the shield off. And he says, how does that feel? He passes the Captain America shield off to a black man. And he's like, how does that feel? And the guy said, like it belongs to somebody else. And he says, it doesn't. It belongs to you. And you and I have the opportunity to pass that shield off onto somebody else. If we can live a life of freedom where losses are grieved and we're not constantly and shame over some sense of failure uh, you know, or, or messages that people sent to us, we can live into that heroic calling. Whatever God has called you to, whatever life God has for you. And I want to close uh, with this. This person in our church who recently um, lost somebody that was a, a mentor to him, that meant a lot to him in his life. And sorry, I'm fumbling with my papers here. And he, uh, he lost this friend just a couple of weeks ago. Um, it was sudden. And uh, he's been grieving that. And uh, he shared a little bit about his friend and why, what, what his friend meant to him, how he affected his life. And I said, would you mind writing that up? And we could read that during the service. It would be an amazing tribute to your friend. But what he wrote here is just, I love it. I want to read this to you in closing. As we think about our own lives, looking back over our lives and, and what we want our lives to be, what we dream they can be, if we can get past shame and failure. He says, this is a tribute to Tony. His friend's name was Tony. 
I recently lost a friend of mine who was a very special person. At first, feelings of anger, sadness, and loneliness and questioning life itself overwhelmed me. Fortunately, I have not had to face the loss of anyone close to me other than the passing of my dog, which wasn't easy. She was my best friend. He says, the dog lovers out here will understand. So this is all somewhat new to me. My friend's name was Tony, and he was very special. He reached out, lending a hand to me during a dark period of my life and stuck with me until his last day. He was a listener, giver, and lover of life. Always on the go, never wasting a moment. Tony lost his wife at an early age to cancer. Looking back on this fact, I believe that this tragedy, tragedy in his life enabled him to see the world in a different light and not live solely for himself, but instead live to help others. So as he grieved, he found a purpose in helping others. I'm not the only one that he helped during his time on earth. There are too many instances, people, and situations to describe his loving actions toward others to talk about. This would require a book and not just a few sentences. As I came out of my fog of sadness, anger, and questioning life, I slowly started reflecting on what a genuinely good person Tony was, how he always looked at the positive in people. He hired many people for the business he owned who would be questionable hires for most at best, giving those he saw potential and a chance to get back on track. He even offered his home to some, giving them a place to stay when they were in need. He never uh, looked back. Now watch me fumble here. Bear with me. He never looked back at where the person came from or what they were known for, rather the opposite. He saw a person for who they were deep in their heart. He had a knack of seeing potential in the worst and nurturing that potential. He did all this while having a business to run, a son, a daughter-in-law, and a grandson of his own to look after. It is these selfless, selfless qualities that made me think more and more about my life and how I could be more like Tony. This then turned my grief into a sense of excitement. I came to realize that I too can emulate his actions. We all can. I too could be a Tony in this life. I too could have an impact on others. Get ready for this. How great would it be for someone to feel how I am feeling about Tony due to the actions I choose to take? How great would it be if other people can, are thankful for me the way that I'm thankful for Tony? I love that. Now I thought to myself, uh, what a goal this would be to have in life. To leave even half the legacy that he left would be a great accomplishment. To leave an imprint on another's life like he has would be awesome. So now my grief has turned into a mission. A mission to remind myself every day that this world is not about me. It's not about those that surround me and recognizing. No, it is, sorry, it is about those who surround me and recognizing the opportunity to help when you can. Although this has been an excruciating process to go through, I realize that Tony is still teaching me this lesson through his legacy. If you can hear me, Tony, thank you. I'm looking out for the next opportunity to follow in your footsteps. In this way, your legacy will never be forgotten. It is my hope that by sharing this with you, you too will remember Tony and follow in his footsteps as well. Tony, who experienced a loss, who grieved that, but allowed that to turn into empathy and his mission for, other, for helping other people, reaching out to them, and now Tony's passing on the shield to somebody who is dealing with his own grief and his own, you know, story that Tony helped in. But now that guy can live in to his calling and, and, and live a heroic life that God has called him to. Jesus defeated Thanatos, death, and shame 
so that you and I don't have to wallow in it. We can be freed from it. Yes, every loss must be grieved, but we, but we grieve as people with hope. There's something, there's something new for you out there. There's a new day for you. And God has a calling for your life that you, that you can live into. Get rid of shame and you can live into that. All right, what is that for you? What does that look like for you? Let's pray. God, thank you for the scripture today where we read that Jesus defeated Thanatos, death. And we thank you for works of art that help tell those stories that powerfully affect our lives. And Avengers Endgame is one of those that tells a story about how death can be overcome, that grief can be overcome. By working through it and expressing it, that grief will slowly fade. And that there's hope. And for those of us who have grief connected to shame, feelings of loss connected to shame, the, the cross and the resurrection is, is God shouting to the world that, that God has more than, than shame for this world. John 3 says, right after the famous you know, John 3, 16 passage, he said, for his son did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. For those of us who have gotten messages that, that we have to keep shaming ourselves and that that's our punishment, our penance for wrong behavior. That's not what the cross tells us. That's not what the resurrection tells us. Shame might, might be useful very briefly just to show us what we've done that might be wrong, to learn from mistakes, to apologize, to make up for it if we can, to do the best we can. And then to move on and be free from shame and to live into our calling. Calling that you have for us. Every job is a calling. You can live out your calling at work. You can live out your calling with your kids or other people in the world. You can be a mentor to them like Tony was and reach into people's lives when, when they need help and inspire them to such a degree that you pass off the shield and somebody writes about you when you die that I want to follow in their footsteps. I want to be that kind of a person. Instead of living in shame, we can live in freedom and joy and, and live out the mission you've given to us. And God, that's the way we want to live. For those of us who are struggling with grief, with, with shame, with a sense of failure, God, thank you for this good news. Gospel means good news. This good news that we can find in a movie and we find it in your scripture. And we want to live into that good news. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen.